Deer Trucking Awesome. What do you think of when someone says tough? Honestly, I think of a Toyota truck. Tundra's one mean mother of a truck with a twin turbo V6, an incredible going power, and the Tacoma claws through terrain with a taller suspension and lots of creature comforts in the cockpit. Both Toyota trucks are decked out with tons of cool features and tech you'll dig. Check them out at toyota.com, folks. Visit your front range Toyota stores today. Toyota, let's go places. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary. What I like about Frosted Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosk, their online ordering, and then just pick up at the store. And then they're always getting new genetics as well, so that's always cool. Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no weight, and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains, but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases. I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend, and I would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help. Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today. Hey everybody, welcome to the BSN Avalanche Podcast presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Bev is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. Use promo code BSN10 to save $10 off your $50 purchase for all your parties. Have it delivered straight to your door. Let's jump into the show. I am your host today, AJ Hayfully, as Jesse Montonio is off for the day dealing with some real-life world stuffs. And I am joined today by a special guest, uh, Nathan Rudolph. Hey, good to be here. What's up, dude? It's been a while since uh, since you've been on the show. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad to have you back. I know you and I have been talking about doing this for a while, so I was glad that uh, the universe conspired to make everything come together on a day like this. Yeah, glad to be back and talk some prospects, hopefully. Yeah, we, uh, we are going to get into a little bit of draft stuff here in a minute. Before we get going, obviously there's kind of an elephant in the room. Uh, I just want to tell everybody, you know, that yes, AD has decided to move on from BSN. Uh, it'll be something that Jesse and I will address a little bit further in tomorrow's show when he's back on. Um, I don't want you guys to think that we're just ignoring it, that, you know, we're, oh, hey, we'll just pretend like nothing's wrong or nothing's going on, you know, whatever. It's nothing like that. Um, it's just, we'll talk about it a little bit more tomorrow. Uh, today, obviously, things have, have kind of been a little crazy, so it's uh, not going to be something that we're going to get into today. So if you were looking for any of that, tomorrow. As for today, Nathan here and I are going to get into draft prospects. We're going to talk about that fourth overall pick, because that's where you start with draft coverage. We've done it a little bit already in the past, but we're going to dig into it a little bit more here, starting with a guy that has jumped up uh, the draft boards quite a bit already in Alex Turcott, the American kid. Nathan, what you got for me? 
Well, yeah, at the start of the year, uh, he was in the conversation around three and four, I think. But, you know, he dealed with a lot of injuries early on in the season. So people just kind of forgot about him and shuffled him back behind the whole kind of second group of forwards. And then once he got healthy, he basically just started murdering every single game he played in. And now we're back to talking him, talking about him at four. It's it really is kind of impressive. And I think it does speak to the, the talent that he has that. He was sort of forgotten about, and like you said, and you know, the injuries kind of pushed him down the boards, and everybody kind of moved on, and was like, "Wow, look at all these guys who are playing, who are also playing really well." And then, as soon as he got healthy, all the momentum went right back to him. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty how, insane. <laughs> it it really, I mean, it, I think it's I think it's a credit to him, and it's a testament to uh, the talent that people do see in him. Uh, I know that there are certainly some detractors who wonder about where the upside is. We'll get to that here in a minute. But the number one thing that I want to talk about when when getting into Turcotte is the the team around him. How much do you think, you know, you've got so many guys. You've got several top 10 picks coming from that team. Uh, How much do you think that the talent around him has made him actually look better than he is? Um, it matters. It does. I do think he's very good, but one of his best assets is making very nice passes, especially down low in the zone. And when you get to pass to players like Jack Hughes or Trevor Zegris or Caulfield or York, it they're going to finish for you a lot more than some players that other other draft prospects have to deal with. Yeah, and, you know, we saw at U18s, you know, the guy you didn't name there was Matt Boldy. And those yeah. two were on, like, a weird, like, same wavelength where it they it sort of just looked like two people doing the same thing at the same time. Uh, and they were they, they had cheat codes on and everything. It, it was a really impressive performance by those guys at U18s. Uh, and like you say, it, it does matter. Those, it, you know, you can't look at the guy and say, oh, well, look at the talent that he's that he's making better, right? It's, it's just, it's just impressive that, you know, he, he misses time with injury and he still uh, was almost two points per game everywhere he went this year. And then had nine points in uh, seven games at the U18s. Yeah. I mean, you know, we just got done with a season of watching pretty much every important abs player start to break down and for him to come back from injury is a nice contrast to get to watch some of that and just absolutely kill everybody. It it was it's definitely impressive and what I what I do think is interesting about the guys that we're going to talk about today. Uh we've got two forwards and a defenseman that we're going to get into. Uh but the style contrast. You're not I mean there's lots of talented forwards and in this this 3 to 10 range that we've talked about all year long with all these different forwards and Bowen Byram as the one defender mixed in, you're getting a lot of different talents. You're getting a lot of different skill sets. Uh, It's not just like five copies of the same guy. They're all the same size and they all have the same basic skill sets. For you with Turcotte, what do you see as his main, say, three pros and three cons? Uh, well, I already mentioned his passing down deep. I think his wrist mm-hmm. shot is is sneaky good as well. But the big thing that sets him apart from so many of the other forwards here is his defensive game. I know some people have said he's a guaranteed Selkie winner. I don't know if I'd go quite that far. Uh, but he's able to play the 200 feet pretty much better than anyone. 
Um, I do have a little bit of concern about his size. He's going to be great. I don't want to act like a size queen or anything, but he does need to be a little bit bigger. We kind of see those problems with Jost. Once he got to the NHL level and there was less space and time, he needs to be stronger. And I think Kurt uh, Turcotte might fall into the same area of issue and Mm -hmm. just kind of jumping off of that as well. The league that he gets to play in, he gets a lot of time and space to do what he wants with the puck. So I, we still need to see him be able to make those decisions and plays a little bit quicker. That's, I would say definitely mirrors one of my main concerns about him. You know, we've heard all, and obviously the injuries are something you do worry about, especially for a guy that hasn't measured in at six feet tall yet. So, you know, and, and while the league is still, you know, it's moving towards smaller, faster, and, you know, we're going to get some extreme examples of that. A guy like Cole Caulfield, for an example. Um, you do worry about guys who are still small uh, and injury prone. You know, we've seen Tyson Jost uh, in the NHL has, it's, the guy always is dinged up, right? You you can complain about his production and, and his development and all that, but he's always dinged up. And it's one of those things you do worry about with guys who are just a little bit on the smaller side. Uh, I do also worry about the pace at which he plays sometimes. Uh, I I do wonder how it's going to translate uh, to the next level. How much do you think that's going to to, to be helped by him uh, or be helped by Tony Granato? He's set to go to Wisconsin, uh, which has started to, to turn into a serious prospect factory. Um, how much do you think that it's going to help him going in and learning under Granato's tutelage? Although I know he doesn't have the greatest reputation here in Colorado. Um, he's definitely a guy that is is going to be getting a lot of NHL talent. Do you think that's good or bad? Um, I think the NCA route or NCAA route is good for him in general. We'll see how much it actually helps him with pace and having less time. Again, going back to Jost, you know, he was able to score at will basically in the NCAA because he had enough space. And then when he made the jump, it wasn't quite the same. But again, on that strength, I think that's where going to the NCAA helps a lot of prospects because they don't have, you know, three, four games a week schedules. They have two games on the weekends and they're spending the rest of the week in the gym, getting bulked up, getting stronger. And that's what he's going to need. If he runs out of space and time and he can't quite make the plays as well, then he needs to be able to outmuscle players and be able to make plays that way. It is, it is going to be interesting. Um, and one of the other things that we talk about with these kids is timeline. You know, Vasily Podkolzin got the two-year contract. Everybody knows his story. But realistically, is Turcotte a guy that you would expect to be a one-and-done in college next year? Um, I, I don't think so. To be fair, pretty much everyone besides the top two and, and maybe – Byram, I would consider after one year, obviously it depends on how they perform, but I would have a two-year plan for pretty much everyone else at minimum. And when you're, so if you're Colorado, you know, and you're trying to plan around a two-year window like that, is that, is, do you take what you learned from Jost and you look at Jost and Makar and say, okay, one guy got two years and he was ready to step in right away. One guy got one year and has really struggled to adjust and make his make his presence felt at a high level in the NHL and say, well, let's just do two years to be safe. Uh, I wouldn't 
think of it that way. Uh, Makar and Jost are just two completely different players. You can look at Makar, and it's it's so apparent that he was so ready a quarter of the way through this year, his second year. So, you know, he, he was someone who likely could have stepped in after his first year and been just fine. Jost, on the other hand, looked strong and made the jump and didn't look quite as good. So... I think the safe side would be to to lean on the two years, but that's something that you need to be adaptable with. If Turcotte comes in and is clearly ready for the NHL game at a physical level, go ahead and pull the trigger. And so that's what you're looking for more than anything else is, is, I mean, obviously production will be what production is. If it's there, then you're feeling pretty good at pretty good about him making the leap. But Physically, he also needs to be mature. And I think that's when we talk about the forwards who are all kind of in play for that fourth overall pick, I think he's the only one that we're really talking about and having that discussion uh, about. Yeah, I I agree. I think all the other ones are physically mature enough to make the jump, but they have their own problems. (laughs) And And that makes this draft class kind of weird in that way that you look at the vast majority of the time, what, one of the things that we're always talking about with these kids trying to make the jump to the NHL is, you know, do they have the strength for it? Can they physically hold up over an 82-game season in the NHL? You know, none of these kids at any level play anything close to 82 games in a year uh, unless they have, like, deep, deep, deep playoff runs. And even then, of course, it's nowhere near the physicality and the speed of, of the NHL. Um, so it's it's interesting that this year's draft class, we're looking at it and we're saying it's kind of just Turcotte. <laughs> All the other guys that we're talking about for this draft pick are are going to be physically there. Uh, it's it's all the other aspects of their game that you wonder about. Yeah, it, it's a nice I want to call it pick your poison, but I guess it's really like pick your favorite drink in this case, because they all have their own issues and their own strengths, but they're all different enough that you can choose whatever you are the most attracted to. Is that, is that one of the things that makes this draft class different from previous years is that there's such a glut of forward talent. That's all similar in, in upside. It's just trying to figure out which guy is right for that, that particular team and trying to sift through all the different upsides. Yeah, I I think it is for most drafts. You're going into the basically the entire top 10 is doesn't matter. Just take the best player on your board here. Mm-hmm. But a lot of teams, especially once you get past the top five, you're looking at, OK, these guys are all fairly similar. Which one fits with us the best? Yeah, it'll be, you know, you, you mentioned past the top five. I think the draft getting to, you know, where Detroit is sitting at six, I think is going to be fascinating because there's going to be serious talent sitting there on the board. How do you figure out which guy's right for you? Oh man, that's that's a tough job. I'm glad I I don't have to do that for anybody. Um, you have to look at a ton of factors. Firstly, timeline. None of these players are most likely going to affect you within a year, and as I said, most of them probably two years or more. So you have to kind of gauge where your team's going to be at in a couple years and what your needs are going to be, and then from there you look at what you like most how does your team play a team like say Detroit I don't know Detroit's play style that well I guess but they're moving towards more speed like everyone yeah bad fair (laughs) 
<laughs> as the league moves towards more speed, maybe they're looking to get smaller and faster, or maybe they already feel like they're small enough, so they need someone bigger and to lay more muscle down. And there's a million other factors too, but without getting too deep into it, you have to really analyze every angle and, and take with the best fit. I do think it's going to be interesting of, of all the guys, and this is not specific to the three guys we're going to talk about today, uh, Turcotte, Byram, and Doc. Um, but of all the guys in that, you know, starting at pick three and going, you know, down to 10 or 11, however, wherever, whatever your per- personal list is, which guy, if you, if you were making the pick at four, which guy do you think best fits what Colorado needs, wants, best fits Colorado's identity and, and needs? Uh, well, I flip flop every other day, but the, the name that I keep coming back to is Byram. And I know we're desperate for a, a top six forward as well, but there are other avenues that I think that can be acquired through. Whereas mm-hmm. a potential top pairing D man, especially one like him that we'll get into more later, those don't come around very often. Well, I think that's a perfect segue, uh, because we're going to go ahead and take our first break here. We're going to come back on the other side, and we're going to talk about Bowen Byram. Uh, I didn't know that was your answer when I asked the question. The universe is just on our side today, buddy. So <laughs> Nice. Uh, everybody stick around. This is the BSN Avalanche Podcast presented by Total Bev. We'll- if you're living in Colorado and you are craving some good old Southern barbecue, be sure to give Moe's Original Barbecue a try. My favorite thing about Moe's Original Barbecue is we are a Southern soul food revival. We make everything from scratch daily, house-made smoked meats, and customer service to the next level. That was Robbie Peoples, one of the managers over at Moe's Original Barbecue. And like he mentioned, they have incredible food, awesome customer service, and I think my favorite part is how cool the environment is in both of their locations. We have live music at Moe's at our south location, 3295 South Broadway, which is a full PA system, ticket sales. Uh, We have national bands, we have local bands. If you're a local band interested in playing, feel free to contact us at mosdenver.com. We would love to have you come down and play for a big old party at Mo's Original Barbecue. Not only do they have live music, but they also have a bowling alley and a dozen TVs with all of your favorite games on. They have two locations, one in downtown Denver off Broadway and 6th, and of course the other one that Robbie mentioned in Inglewood. I would recommend Mo's to someone because we cater to all needs a family-friendly atmosphere we have colorado beers on tap all the games on the tvs it will blow your mind with amazing barbecue and welcome back in segment number two here the bsn avalanche podcast presented by total beverage i'm aj hayfley alongside nathan rudolph today talking a little bit of draft hey then i got a question for you before we get into bowen byram how much do you like following the draft every year? What kind of, what, what's, what's your favorite aspect of it? Oh man, I really, really enjoy it a lot more now. Uh, I always enjoyed it, but the past three, four years, I've, I've really followed it a lot closer and it's just exciting to look towards the future. Obviously my, my love for it came during a, a dark time for the avalanche. <laughs> so it was a beacon of hope at the end of the season that you could look forward to. And, and then the Avs were basically always picking in the top 10 too. So you get to look at all these players of the future and most of the time they pan out. So that's good. Uh, but it, it's, it's fun to kind of split hairs and, and see which ones you think are going to be the best. And then a couple of years later, take a look back and see how right or wrong you were. 
Well, I'm going to put you on the spot. What was your best call, your biggest hit, the, the guy that you knew was going to be good and ended up being good, and your biggest miss? Ooh. Um, I don't know if I have a, a, a biggest hit that I would say ended up being good because I'm a cynic, so I am better at pointing out who's going to suck. <laughs> um. <laughs> But when we picked Bleakley, I, I said that he wasn't going to be good. And lo and behold, that turned out to be a, a pretty correct. And then my biggest miss was probably, I'll, I'll keep it to the abs and I'll say Siemens. I, you know, I wasn't sure what he was going to be, but I thought for sure he would at least be an NHLer with top four potential. And mm-hmm. obviously we all saw how that worked out. Yeah, I would definitely have uh, I would definitely have Siemens there for me as well as in terms of guys that I was just wrong about. I thought with that the size and the physicality and his skating ability that he was going to be like the model of what you wanted in this era from a defensive defenseman. I thought I thought he had a chance to be like Mark Edward Vlasic, basically. Yep, and then it turned out puck skill wasn't a thing. I mean, just non-existent, right? Yep. Like, it, it just, it, it wasn't so much like, oh, it's it's not there, you know, it's it's not at a high level. It was just, it just didn't there exist. There isn't any. <laughs> yeah, and that, it's a tough break, man, because, I mean, a, a great kid, great character, uh, really well liked by all of his teammates, and big time bummer. So, yep. I just, well, I was just curious, um, you know, just figured I would put you on the spot and see what you had. I would definitely put uh, put put Siemens on that list for me. I think being right about something, I feel like Wierenski and uh, uh, Thomas Shabbat, both from 2015, were guys that I absolutely loved that year. And I was higher on Wierenski than I was Hannafin and Provorov, which is, uh, you know, not... I'd, I'd say they've all, they're, they're all interesting guys nowadays. Um, I'd give you Wierenski over Hannafin anyway. <laughs> I Yeah, but it's Provorov where I'm like... Yeah, ah. for sure. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, if Provorov is going to play like he did this past season, I'd win that one running away. But uh, I think if, uh, if, if he reverts to the form that we've seen from him, I'm uh, probably going to end up looking bad on that one. But Shabbat <laughs> at, at 18, I got that one right. So that made me feel good. Anyway, moving on and sticking with defensemen, since we were just talking about a couple of them, Bowen Pyram, top-rated defenseman in this class, and it's not even close. I'm I'm not. curious, who do you even have as your second-rated defenseman in your eyes? Uh, I have Soderstrom as the second one. He's, I, I, we're not getting into the 16th pick too much here, but he's really one of the few defensemen I would actually consider with that pick. I'm I'm not a big fan of Broberg. Yeah, I uh, the guys that I like the most, uh, I like Cam York, which is funny because I really didn't like Cam York early in the year, and I came around on him late. Uh, and I like Ryan Johnson. So those are those are the defensemen that I'm a big fan of. Not necessarily, I think I think York is probably my second rated defenseman, but I do also really like Soderstrom. I just don't think he gets to sixteen. Yeah, I, I don't think he will either. Um, York is ah, I. 
you know, I think he runs into the same problem Turcotte does where he gets to play with a bunch of really good players, but yeah, I well, and, and I think that when you look at his production and you're like, Oh my gosh, like it's like, okay, like maybe calm down, you know, on, yeah. on projecting that offense moving forward. Right. Um, but I definitely feel like that's a guy he's put up points everywhere. He's been, he, you know, he definitely even... fits the mold of a modern NHL defenseman more than a yeah. lot of them do. Yeah. And, and the height, it doesn't bother me. It's, it's, uh, the build. I don't think yeah, that absolutely. he's, he's really skinny yeah. and I don't know that he has the frame to add on a lot more weight. And so, you know, a 170 kid, he might max out at 180, you know, and not, not the 190 he should probably get to in order to be maximum effectiveness in the NHL. Definitely not someone you're ever going to pair with a Gerard or like a Barry type. <laughs> Yeah, right. And and for Colorado's purposes, um is is an iffy selection just given what they yeah, need and right. I don't think he's a great fit for us. Yeah, just a, a personal just a, a guy that I like, but uh a guy that everybody seems to like, although how much kind of depends, is is Byram. Uh I feel like I've been teasing it for an hour now. But this this kid just accomplished something that's never been done before in leading the WHL in scoring as a defenseman. Nobody's ever done that before. The, or the WHL playoffs, I'm sorry. In scoring as a defenseman. It's never happened before. Uh, he took his Vancouver Giants to the very, very, very cusp, as far as you can go, of the Memorial Cup without getting there uh, as they lost in Game 7. What do you see from Byron's game? You know, kind of like with Turcotte. You know, pros and cons. What's... What's the upside? Why, if, if he's there at four, why take him? What's the, uh, what are you getting out of him that's good? And what are you worried about uh, if you if you do take him there? Uh, I think you're getting pretty much a complete package. The way I've been calling it is he's basically an EJ replacement. And EJ still got some, hopefully at least a couple of good years left. But mm-hmm. we definitely saw a little bit of a downtrend this year, we'll say. I know he was fighting some injuries and things, so we'll see. But this is for a couple years out basically. And he plays fantastically in all three zones. Skates great, very physical when he wants to be and has that puck skill that we were talking about that you have Mm -hmm. to have. He absolutely oozes it. So I I really think he could be an all situations player for the Avs playing five on five PK and even power play, even though we probably wouldn't need him there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So maybe he falls back into more of a, a, maybe 30 point role like EJ, like I was saying, but I really do think that he is capable of just absolutely being a top pairing D man. And we saw all season long, he plays like absurd amount of minutes so he can just skate for days. The one problem that really sticks out to me is some of his decision-making in the defensive zone. He's got a little bit of Zadorov in him with some of those passes that he tries to make across his own crease. So mm-hmm. that's that's something he's going to got to work on. But, I mean, all young defensemen have some issues with that. So I, it doesn't worry me too much. I would I would be curious. How much do you think uh, the, the kind of the iffy passing is? Is a guy trying to force it on a team that's not you know, great. I mean, he almost made the Mem Cup, so the team wasn't that bad. Uh, but I I think at times he does try and force the breakout a little bit. Um, and, and you can see when he decides to skate the puck out, it, it's a bit on a different level than when he's trying to pass it and create to his teammates. Mm-hmm. So 
maybe a little bit there, but I think he it's more of a problem where he might even have almost too much confidence where he thinks he's just going to make every play perfectly and he needs to take maybe that extra half second sometimes to make the smart play. Mm -hmm. I definitely see. uh, I feel like there's a different level of confidence when he is skating the puck out versus when he's trying to break it out with any kind of a stretch pass. Uh, I feel like when he's got the puck on his stick, he feels like he's the best player on the ice. Yeah, for sure. And when he's looking to to move the puck and he's trying to control the game, you know, by by hitting teammates, I just feel like there's not the same level of confidence, the same level of execution uh, at this at at that at that really really high level. Uh, I will say, twenty six goals in the regular season, uh, eight goals in the postseason. The guy had six goals during the regular season last year. How much of this offense is translatable? You know, you see the 26 goals and you're like, okay, well, if he's going to be a 20 goal scorer from the back end, why isn't this guy being talked about as a top two pick? Uh, yeah, that's see, that's the tough part to project, right? Um, well, I think, you know, if, if everything goes great and he hits his ceiling 100% all the way, yeah, maybe, you know, he could be a 50 to 60 point guy, but mm-hmm. like I said, realistically, I'd like him to be an EJ type where he transitions his game to playing in all situations at the pro level. And, you know, he's good for 30 points a year, but I don't think he's going to be firing bombs in every game. So from a talent perspective, and this is really where I think the the conversation around Byram and Colorado specifically gets interesting. Byram would make sense in Chicago. He'd make sense. Although they have invested a lot of draft capital in defensemen. So if they wanted to say, Hey, we'll, we'll take our chances with the, with the guys we've already drafted. Um, I could understand that decision, uh, but the teams after Colorado, you look at LA and Detroit, uh, they've got nothing in the pipeline in terms of, of, of meaningful young D prospects, uh, certainly nothing at the level of a Byram, but for Colorado, I mean, they've got Gerard and McCarr already on the blue line. You know, you look at those guys as probably the lead dogs moving forward for the avalanche blue line for the next several years. Anyway, how much value are you really getting out of a guy like Byram at fourth overall where you're drafting him and you know that you're probably getting a second pairing defenseman out of him? Yeah, I, I mean, it is something you have to consider. It, it does matter that the Avs have two studs back there already. Uh, but with Byram, again, what he can bring is is relief a little bit, I think, because you're looking at Gerard and Makar. Dads aren't going to play Makar on the PK anytime soon, for sure. And Gerard, yeah, they might have to next year, depending on how things shake out. But again, I, I think he's someone that they would rather have more offensively focused. Mm-hmm. And bringing in Byram, drawing back that offense a little bit and having him be his big bodied physical self that can get the puck out for you and play hard defense. He brings something that the abs are going to be lacking a little bit. Like we talk about it with Zadorov all the time, how he's able to bring something that none of the other abs defensemen really have. Mm-hmm. I don't think Byram will be hitting quite like Z does, but <laughs> he brings that physicality and a bigger, stronger defenseman to the decor. So I still think even with Makar and Gerard, there is room there. But honestly, I mean, the not only the three guys we were talking about today, but there are two or three, four, five, even other guys that if we take it for, I wouldn't have any complaints. Is there since just since we're here already? But is there a player that they would take it for that you would be upset by? 
and not not like a Broberg, you know, where you're like, uh, but like of the guys that we always talk about in that three to ten range, you know, yeah. that that big forward group with Byram. Is there are there any of them that you'd be like, why, why? There aren't any that I'd be completely upset about, but I, I'm the opposite of you. I think the one I want the least is Boldy. So, well, you're allowed to be wrong, sir. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Well, and, and the thing is, though, is that it's it's totally defensible to feel that way because he's a guy where you do wonder what's the offensive upside really. Is is he more of a 20-goal guy or a 30-goal guy? There's a huge difference between that guy and the NHL. You know, what's, what's, his, what's that upside and positional value as a wing versus all these centers who could come in and take over down the middle for you? So, again, like as much as Boldy is my favorite dude uh, – it's crazy because it's a totally defensible position to be like, no, if they take that guy, I'll be upset. Yeah. It, I, I mean, for me personally, one of my things that I probably weighed a little bit too much, honestly, is with the centers is it's, it's much easier for a center to transfer to wing at the next level than the other way around. So it, you know, if you need a winger and you draft a center, it's, it's a lot easier to go that way than the other way. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, we've seen teams have been doing this, have had specifically been doing this for the last few years is they'll get good defensive centers uh, and turn them into wings and try and, and just capitalize on the smart defensive play. And they say, okay, well, instead of taking care of the whole ice, now you're just taking care of a third of the ice and they get a high end defensive uh, winger out of it. It's something that they've been doing on purpose for the last couple of years. Cause it's, you know, it, it just makes sense. It's just smart business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyway, moving on, as we got a little bit sidetracked there. With Byram, I mean, you're making this, this the argument of, okay, with Byram, you're getting a second-pairing defenseman. You know, with Turcotte, you're getting a second-pairing, or you're getting a second-line center. But do you view the value in the same in the same at the same level? Or is Colorado's need, you know, because right now they've got a second-pairing defenseman in, in Tyson Perry or even Eric, in Eric Johnson. Um, we know when you project down the road, not necessarily right now, uh, but how Byram would fit in on the roster in a couple of years, you know, and then obviously the great unknowns with Timmons and Malosh and et cetera, et cetera. But do you think that the, the, the value of the second line center in Turcotte is similar to a probable second pairing defenseman? Or do you think that Byram could take over for Gerard? Uh, as as Makar's like long term partner, and then Gerard is your second pairing guy on the left side. Um, I I do feel that their their value is similar at times, depending on the day. Again, you know, I might even have the needle moving into a forward's favor uh, over Byram for the Avs specifically. But the thing that kind of always I come back to to fall back onto Byram again mm-hmm. is. Even if our def- defense stays extremely strong and it turns out that, you know, we're a little too crowded, great. You can trade a player <laughs> like a Byram Gerard for a ton. Defensemen are at an a- extreme premium in this league, and I really think you can't discredit just how important that is at getting value out of your pick. I mean, it's it's a good point, but you definitely aren't hoping, like, you're not looking to draft, you know, to, and especially to use, like, what's essentially this free pick that they have in the top five. No, right, You of definitely course. don't want to use that pick on a guy where you're like, oh, well, if, you know, 
if our defense just ends up so good that we can't play him anywhere, we'll just move him. No, right. I I do see Byram as ideally a, a top pairing player. You can you can split up Gerard and Makar, and then you have two pairings that are extremely threatening on both ends of the ice. That would be the perfect world, and that's why I like Byram for the Abs. I do. I do. Honestly, I think that the idea of like a like a Byron McCarr and then a Gerard Barry top four, like three years from now is just like, you know, I guess four years from now is it's super interesting. Is Tyson Barry still the same guy? Is he still around? You know, right. is Eric Johnson still around? Is your third pairing at that point, Zadorov and Eric Johnson? Like how dumb is this? So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it definitely, it gives you the flexibility. And for me, what I would really like about the Byron pick is it gives you a little bit of expansion draft protection. You're going to lose a good player. Sackick said it at his presser yesterday. He's absolutely right. You're going to lose a good player. And right now, Colorado's defense is a little deeper than its forward core. So two years out, it looks like the likeliest position you're going to lose somebody is probably from that blue line. Now they have to make a decision on Barry. They have to make a decision on Johnson. He's got the no movement clause. How is that going to play into it? All these different things. Byram offers you just straight up protection. You lose a guy, you plug a top five pick in to his spot, and you go. And, you know, you don't worry about it. That's the kind of ultra, ultra rare situation where they're going to lose a guy, and it's just not it, – with Byram, if you have Byram on the, in, in the organization, it just – it won't matter. Yeah, I, I agree with that entirely. When – when you have the opportunity to have depth like that, it feels pretty good. It's it's a situation. You look at it like like when Nashville traded Gerard to us. They were so deep right. that they could just move Gerard and it wouldn't really affect them that much. And it really hasn't. I mean, they as much as they would like to, you know, have him, I'm sure, next to Dante Fabro on their third pairing, instead of, you know, playing against him. You know that Kyle Turris was something they needed. Now it hasn't worked out for them, but I would I would argue that neither one of their big deals for centers have really worked out. Which yeah, I think, no. which which I think also brings into question the idea of you can always just trade Byram for a forward. You know, Seth Jones or Ryan Johansson. Seth Jones is I think is yeah. a significantly better player. It's not to say Johansson's a baddie. It's just Seth Jones is a Norris caliber defenseman, and they gave that guy up. And they're going to have to watch him play elsewhere while Ryan Johansson struggles to be the number one center that they that they needed. Um, right. You know, they they give up Sam Gerrard and, and a couple of other pieces for their number two center in Kyle Turris. And it's gone so poorly, they're already talking about finding another home for Kyle Turris so they can go out and sign Matt Duchesne. So yeah, and, you have and to be careful there, with that, you know? You, you do, but... What Nashville doesn't have that the Avs do is Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rant. Absolutely. They've got the elite upside yeah. that you're already. Slap it down. Two first line players, 80 points a year, easy, done. So when you go out and get a Turris or a Duchesne or a whoever to be your 2C, you're bringing them in and you're saying, go get your 60 points. Be a good 2C. We don't need you to be the man. It, yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting. Um, last last question. Timeline. We talked about this with Turcotte. It's going to be a couple of years. With Byram, 
in Colorado, because I think for LA or Detroit, it would be one year and then he makes the leap. Yeah. Yeah. But in Colorado specifically, is that the case? Um, I, unfortunately, I think that third year of Cole's contract probably pushes it to two. Uh, it it could, you know, if he just goes out and slays again next year to the level of it's just silly that he's in the CHL, maybe. But mm-hmm. the fact that he can't play in the AHL after the first year, I think he'll spend the two in the CHL. And then at that point, I mean, it, it, I don't think it would be overly difficult to find a taker for one year of Ian Cole's contract if you're like, hey, we're going to, we're, you know, we're going <laughs> to, sure, we're bringing but, in I mean, Bowen Byram, like, sorry. <laughs> right. And if that's the case, great. But like you said, we have a pretty decent backlog of guys that we have to figure out. Graves, Malash, Timmons. So there, there's going to be a lot of competition for that spot. Yeah, it will be. I do think it will be really interesting. Uh, the Timmons X Factor is one that we haven't gotten into here. Um, we're just trying to focus mostly on Byram and his fit in Colorado. But there is that X Factor. It does exist. You know, if if Connor Timmons goes out, and obviously they will make the selection before we know anything about Timmons. But if Timmons goes out and he lives up to the potential and he goes back to being a real, a real prospect, um, I... I think that I think that the the backlog could be kind of crazy. Yeah, like it. And I'm like, obviously, I don't know how convinced the Avs are of where Timmins is going to be next year, but I'm mm-hmm. sure they have at least some kind of idea. And if they're dead set on Timmins being an NHLer and soon, that could well push them away from Byram. It definitely, I mean, you'd have to think it, it probably would if they're, if they're that convinced, but I would also say when you're talking about this draft class, and I'm going to get back to value with this, with this point is that when you're talking about uh, whoever you take at 16, say you do want to target a defenseman at 16, say it is a, a York, a Soderstrom, a Moritz Sider, any of those guys are probably second pairing defensemen for you, Right. So you're getting maybe a lesser talent, but a guy that fills the same role for you with the 16th pick versus the fourth pick. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting conundrum for the Avs because you're looking at both those picks and you don't really want to go forward forward. You don't really want to go DD either. You want to mix back for sure. And that's and and Colorado's weakest area in its entire pipeline right now is is defense. You know, yeah. it, all the guys graduated. It's, yeah, they, it's if the you're question ready, you're mark of, of, of uh, Connor Timmons and, you know, going into his third pro year of Nick Malosh. And then after that, it's nothing. It's like, <laughs> I guess, Nate Clerman, Nikki Lieberman, uh, Danilo Josh Zarabalo. Josh Anderson in the ECHL. Yeah, and Josh yes. Anderson in the ECHL. You're just kind of like, uh, well, we don't really, there's not a lot on the back end. So uh, I, I think going DD would be an awful decision just to shore up that because you can, I mean, at that point you're asking for a problem with the NHL. If those guys pan out, either those guys pan out and you can't play them or they don't pan out and they're, it's just as much of a waste. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, there's still only six D spots on in the show. So yeah, I don't think you're going to re like reinvent a defense and go with eight defenders uh, and, and, and three. <laughs> that would be something though. Three in the third line. So, all right, we're going to go ahead and take our second break. Before I do, I can already hear Steph House rolling his eyes. 
I have to tell you guys about some game-changing coffee. <laughs> Strava Craft is a CBD-enriched coffee. It's really changed lives with incredible reviews that I know you guys have already checked out. The CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It's helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty. We couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use promo code BSN2019 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. Don't go anywhere. This is the BSN Avalanche Podcast presented by Total Bev. We'll be back on the other side to get into Kirby Doc and why he may or may not be the man. Welcome in third and final segment here of today's BSN Avalanche Podcast presented by Total Bev. I am AJ. He's Nathan. We are us. And we are talking Kirby Deck, the kid from the WHL, big-bodied center that has been on the radar for a couple of years now after I think he was the second pick in the WHL Bantam draft uh, behind Peyton Krebs. Yep, he's he's big, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, he definitely, oh yeah, he is. And Byram was the uh, third pick in that draft, so well done, WHL. Might be something got it. this drafting out of Bantam thing. <laughs> they got it right in 2016 with Krebs, Dak, and Byram, and all those guys are great. And um, anyway, Kirby Dak, like I said, kind of been a guy that's been on the radar. Um, had a solid year last year uh, as, as his first full season in WHL. Just seven goals, though. Uh, and I think, you know, and he jumped that up to 25 this year, but let's just start there way more of a playmaker than goal scorer. Yeah. I mean, it's not even close how much of a playmaker he is in comparison. Uh, the 25 goals this year was nice. You you'd still like him to see him score a few more like Byram had 26. So he got outscored by Byram, which I mean, credit to Byram there, but you'd like to see him closer to 30 maybe. And his shot is good enough not great uh but when you see him make the passes especially at his size some of the passes he makes you're just kind of going wow okay yeah and the vision uh the the size the vision and the hands is kind of the combination for me uh, that makes him potentially a special player and of all the guys that we talk about in this draft uh, that that outside the top two guys, you know, in that three to ten range, um, to be honest with you, I think he's the guy with potentially the highest ceiling. Yeah, I, I agree, and that's why he's one of my favorite forwards to take it for is because of the ceiling. And it, it, it's high enough of a ceiling that it makes me overlook a few of the issues that he has. Well, which issues? Uh, one, his body's big, which is great. He's got to use it more. And he Mm -hmm. did a good job this year of using it more than he did. He, his first year, or I guess that was, you know, his first full year in the WHL, he hardly used it at all. I mean, he was six, four, but he was playing like he was five, nine. Mm -hmm. And this year he understands that he has to use it, but you can see it's working against the way he wants to play at times. And the other thing is consistency for him. Um, all Pretty much all the other forwards that I like it for are pretty solidly consistent, like we were talking about with Turcotte. Doc can disappear sometimes. Yeah, Doc had a season kind of like the Avs, where he took two months off and yep. just sort of disappeared. 
Uh, and I was surprised when it happened. I was really disappointed when it happened because he was one of my favorites coming into this draft year. And then he just sort of fell apart in the middle of the year and then completely caught fire at the end of the year and just started done. I mean, he started putting up three, four, five point nights and was just shredding. Yeah. And, you know, he was one of the leading scorers on a Saskatoon team that went fairly deep on their own playoff run as well. And at one point in the year, they were, I think, favored to win the league. It obviously didn't work out for him, but he's absolutely capable of, of being one of the best players at that level and is one of the best players at that level. But it's just mm -hmm. you want to see it every night. Yeah, and I think one of the things that really helped him, um, and this is this is always one of those intangible things, right, is that he played hurt through that playoff run. He did, yeah. Uh, he did not go to U18s because the injury was severe enough, whatever whatever it ended up being. Uh, I did not follow up after it was announced. He, he was just not going to play at U18s. I moved on. Um, so I'm not sure if they ever announced what it was. But he played through it. And that's something that always stands out to teams. They say, hey, you know, not only was he playing through it, but he was leading that team. He was the the engine of that Saskatoon Blades team. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about it with Turcotte. If injuries are a question there, if you get a guy that can play through injuries and shows that he's capable of it, you know, maybe when he's hurt, he's not a top six guy, but he's still in your lineup doing good things. Yeah. What do you think, um, Doc, when you talk about him in Colorado? I, I mean, I, it's, it's fair to say he's probably the 2C. Like, that's yeah. you're drafting him to be that guy. Right. That Ideally, he's your 2C. Um, he would be someone that can provide scoring. I, you kind of want him to do what Kerfoot does as far as his passing is concerned, but he can do all of the other things with his size that Kerfoot can't yeah. do as well. He's seven inches taller. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So I would I would say, you know, what what about Doc's game do you feel is going to best translate to the NHL? And uh will the goal scoring ever pick up? Will the goal scoring ever be something that that comes around to the point where you feel like, hey, he's gonna give me 60 assists and 20 goals a year? Is he gonna be kind of a Joe Thornton type? I compare him all the time to Ryan Getzlaff, because I think that's who he reminds me of every single time I watch him play. Yeah, it's it's tough. I I think he could be a 20-goal scorer. Again, this is like if he really, really peaks out. Mm -hmm. I think maybe 15 is a little bit more realistic of a guy. You can expect 15 goals out of him a year. But like you said, hopefully in the 50, 60 assist range. So that's where he's going to be making his money. Uh, absolutely. And, and I absolutely believe he can read plays at an NHL level. Maybe not all the time, but already he can. Uh, it's just about, again, getting that compete level at times especially mm -hmm. his physicality up that level of engagement is certainly yeah. one of those questions that we have about him uh and when you compare him to the other six you know i guess he's six three but uh but dylan cousins that's a guy who embraces his physicality and and knows he's a big boy yeah and it's just they're, kind of a bull in a china shop at all times they're kind of polar opposites aren't they because cousins is <laughs> yeah. by far a better shooter and a shoot first type player as well right Right. And uh, I think cousin cousins, the, you know, when we talk about him, 
Um, that's a guy I think that might end up actually on right at, at the right wing spot more than he would yeah, be at center. I think Cousins is a wing at the NHL level for sure. And what I'm the reason that we're talking about Doc and not Cousins here, primarily this segment, is I just think the skill level for Doc is so much higher than Cousins. Just the raw, um, all around ability. Um, you know, size is similar, different mentalities, but I think high end. Um, I think. Doc could be an 80-point guy, uh, and I think that Cousins is a 60-point guy. Yeah, Cousins is 60 points, but he'll give you 30 goals. And Doc, you're talking point-per-game level play, I think, if he peaks out. And the the thing with Doc is, in the defensive zone, it's the same story. Like, he can be solid defensively when he's engaged, but he, right. he's got to stay engaged. It's We see this at every level. I, I just finished up a, a video on Sampo Ranta, and when he's engaged and when he's not, it's it's just night and day. So you, it makes such a big difference. It does. Um, I mean, you, you that that engagement and, and he's physically built where the guy's a train. You know, once he gets going... Uh, and and he's and he's on his game. He's a he's arguably the best player in the WHL. In a loaded WHL at that, not like a not like the OHL this year, where being the best player is like, yeah, okay, great. But yeah, no, this, he's, this WHL he's, draft class is just amazing, and there's a reason he's at the top of it. <laughs> right, like that. That more than anything else should really drive home. What we're talking about when you're when you're talking about Doc, you're talking about the potential, the high end there, uh, and even if I, I think even if you get to eighty five percent of his max ceiling, you have a guy that is a he, he's an you're still easy looking at a sixty player. point player to C type of player. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think the other thing about him that certainly has appealed to me, um, he feels safe to me. There's, I feel like there's a safety in his projection that the skill level is there, the size is there, uh, you know, the engagement may or may not be there every night, but even when it's, even if it's not for 20 games in a year, you know, the other 60 games, he'll be good enough to make up for it. You just hope he doesn't pull that crap in the playoffs. But then you yeah. saw how he was for the Blades in the postseason, and he was a monster and played through injury. I just think, I just feel like he's the the ultimate combination of everything they need. Yeah, it, he is safe. I think I personally feel a little bit safer with Peyton Krebs, who I absolutely adore. Oh, me too. Oh, but, me, me too, easily. But for me, it's, if I'm picking a forward at four, it's Krebs and Doc, one of the two for sure. And for me, the reason why I would I would have Doc ahead of Krebs is just the high end offense. Right, Krebs I is an we'll eighty there. point guy. I don't think. <laughs> right, I I definitely don't see that kind of ceiling, uh, but I see a such a great two way game from Krebs. Yep, uh, and it's it's kind of the same conversation. I'm shocked that every time, uh, every, every time we get into, the uh, you know scouting lists come out, Krebs is sitting around at like twelve. Yeah, I, I, there's, I would scramble if he was there at like seven. I'd be begging to trade up. <laughs> oh yeah, right. I mean, and could, if that guy gets, if he, if Krebs gets to like ten or eleven, like they need to be like, hey, 
We'll give you that Ottawa third rounder. Yeah. Let us let please please. Right. <laughs> let us come up those those five spots to take this guy, you know? Yeah. because uh, then I mean then if you, you're talking about walking out with like Byram and Krebs, then just girl. done. Who care who cares about the rest of the draft right. after that? Girl, please. Like that's just crazy. Um so I Doc, final word on on Doc and kind of this these these three guys as a whole. Um, it sounds it sounds like Turcotte has really been zeroed in on by Chicago. Uh, very very honestly, very predictable. They've taken tons of USHL guys. Um, Alfie Turcotte and Stan Bowman are are boys. They're homies. All the relationships are there in place for that to be that for that to be a. <laughs> um, my brain just turned off. The pick. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, for 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 it to be an obvious fit there, right? And then yeah. if he gets past Chicago, say they go with Byram because they do want you know Chicago does want the high end guy for their defense uh, to go along. You know, put Byram and Adam Bulkfist next to each other in Chicago, and you have uh, sort of a Gerard and McCarr equivalency there. Uh, at least yeah. assuming both guys it, max out, of course, like at their ceilings. It, it'll be interesting too. Cause I very much want Byram, but if Chicago takes them, it's a very easy pick for the Avs. best forward on their list done. Right. Oh yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that certainly solves that conversation. You're not worried about, Oh, well we passed up the D you know? Yep. Um, ultimately, if you're picking it for and Turcotte is gone, I'll, 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 we'll end the show with this. If you're picking a four, Turcotte is gone, and you're using Colorado's list, not not your own list. Uh, who's the guy? Colorado's list. Uh, it's probably Doc. Okay, I agree. I just think that the the center, the high end forward, it's the one. It's the one time in Avs history where. You know, had they taken Pedersen instead of Makar, this would be a no-brainer. Yep. But they've got they've got the high-end defense for once. They've got defensive depth. They've got a couple of interesting. Pro- you know, they've we went over all this. It's just it just makes sense. And you're talking about filling something that you don't have. And maybe they go out and they sign a guy in free agency, and they're pretty confident they can get that guy. And so they don't mess with it and they just take Byram and they shut up and they, and they leave. That's also fine. But I think it's going to be interesting. I think these are probably the three guys uh, that we're going to, we're going to hone in on for that pick. Is there any other final thoughts that you have about these three guys or are we, should I, should I have been added another one? Um, a, a couple of things. Uh, Doc in particular is the type of player that I love to fall in love with. Uh, he's, he has those, Glimmers of Peter Forsberg like passing, and obviously, like I said, he needs to work on the physicality. But mm-hmm. when you have a body like that and you can make pucks go through the holes that he can, it's a fun thing to watch. Um, on Turcotte, everyone says that he's great uh, off the ice with his intangibles. Mm-hmm. So that's always been a thing that's been attractive to the Avs, like yeah. we've seen. So those are the two forwards that. It, it makes sense why they stand out on the abs list. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for sure, right? I mean, Turcotte was tailor-made to be uh, 
a favorite for for the Avs. You know, the between the pedigree and the two way ability and the intangibles, all that. I mean, it was the most predictable development of draft season was the Avs falling in love with Turcotte. Like like everybody has really. So yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and it's funny because we we talk about it every year how teams overvalue that stuff. We talked about it last year with Brady Kachuk going ahead of Philip Zadina, and look what happened. Brady Kachuk went out and had a forty point rookie season on a god awful team uh, as as a teenager. It's certainly hard to make the argument today. Ottawa got that one wrong with that pick. So my point is intangibles matter on that note. I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for the day. I know Nathan, you've got somewhere to be. I do greatly appreciate you coming on and uh, talking a little draft with me. Hopefully I can get you on again before the draft. Maybe we'll do uh we'll do like a, a, a little round table like we did uh, before the San Jose series and we'll get a bunch of draft guys on and we'll just have like one big draft bonanza. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'd, I'd love to be on again anytime. Um, you mind if I do a couple shout-outs? I don't want to. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, man. Do your thing. Yeah. Um, so if you guys want to see more of me, uh, you can find me specifically at Avalanche Review on both Twitter and YouTube. If you're into the prospect thing, especially the Av stuff, I just started a series reviewing many of the Av's prospect seasons with video content and all of that stuff. So you can check that out. Uh, all of my content is also available on burgundyrainbow.com where we do a ton, and I mean a ton of prospect stuff as it relates to the abs as well. And of course, if you're listening to this, you already know how amazing BSN is. So keep sticking with them as well. Also, you have a, uh, you have a Patreon. I do have a Patreon, which you can find through my Twitter and YouTube, but it's the same uh, patreon.com slash Ruto3. I'm Bruto3 everywhere, basically. So if you guys really like my content, money is always appreciated, but is never necessary. It, uh, it's, I've been, I, I've, I've been a, a Patreon supporter of yours as long as I can remember. So anybody that's not, uh, not doing that definitely needs to strongly consider hitting that up. It's absolutely worth it. He does great work. Um, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And uh, that'll do it for us today. Um, thank you guys for listening to the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.